Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 253, Pithy Is As Pithy Does, recorded September 18th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. doesn't happen anywhere else. Only right here. My name is Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, I'm going to go with that, are your friends and mine, um, Miles, the yet-to-be-named one, Wakeham, and Seth, the Gooey Kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and all of the Element OPI faithful, thank you for sticking with us tonight. It's a wonderfully awesome pleasure to be here. Hey, Mark, how you doing from the depths of the desert in Phoenix? <laughs> so we've had a, a bit of a weather break here. It's raining. And in fact, well, I mean, in Atlanta, that's nothing new. But uh, the high today was only in the mid-70s. It's, it's clear that fall is upon us. Um, so I'm guessing in the desert, you dropped from 108 to 107 today? Yeah, I, I thought we were going under 100. I thought this was supposed to be the week, and then it's 107 today. Go figure. <laughs> I got it just right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I would not choose to live in the desert. I just can't can't I can't make me. Sorry. Um, I like cold. Uh, maybe I like cold because I've never lived in a cold climate. Maybe once I spent you know a couple of years shoveling snow, I would think differently. As a friend of mine who moved from the south to the north says, uh, he never has to shovel heat. Um, so, you know, I understand that uh, that that's a thing. But being that it's it's such a rare thing in my life, I really look forward to the cold weather. Maybe if I had it for six months, I would think differently. But heat, heat is not my friend. Fat men and heat do not get along well. Um, it's so, not brother. easy. <laughs> it's not easy. This is the time of year where we all go through all of the damage that the summer heat did to everything that was outside. So if you've got a patio, it's gone. It's That's the end of it. If you've got water fountains, they've they've long given up the ghost. And we just take this inventory of everything we've got to replace because four months of heat will kill anything. This is true. Yep. <laughs> okay. That was not much of a, a conversation story. What, one of the things I found moving here is that uh, humidity is just as damaging. Um, you know, in, in Texas, we could have wood furniture. Apparently, that's not a thing in Georgia. They don't know that wood, that you can make furniture out of wood, um, at least not outdoor furniture. Everything here is wrought iron uh, or aluminum. Um, anyway, uh, enough about that. So, Seth, you are back home in Texas. Good to see you back. Yes, thank you. It is good to be back, and I am scheduled to be here till next Monday. So uh, not tomorrow as of the recording, but a week from tomorrow, I am scheduled to fly out, this time to Michigan. Okay. Don't drink the water? Is that the (laughs) best advice there? You know, I pulled it up on the map, and we're on the other side uh, of the state from Flint. So, but yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be drinking the water anyway, so I might ask them for a little bit larger per diem and, you know, just to buy more bottled water. <laughs> so we have uh, a, a unique experience, or at least unique in in my lifetime uh, here today. Um, Saturday morning, uh, they're not really sure when it actually happened, but Saturday morning, a pipe uh, was discovered um uh, in Alabama, a, a gasoline pipeline, so refined gasoline piping from the south, uh, it goes all the way up the east coast, uh, 
uh, in Alabama uh, is broken and had leaked something like 300,000 gallons of gasoline in an open field there in Alabama. So while they're in the process of repairing that, they have shut down that line. Um, and it is like, uh, it's reminiscent of, of uh, 9-11, uh, at least in, in my uh, part of the world, uh, the rumors immediately spread that gasoline was going to be $9 a gallon, and everybody ran to, to fill up. Um, and there, there is literally no gas to be had within probably 10 miles of me. Uh, my wife went out today looking to fill up because she's at you know on half a tank and and it's time to uh to look at putting some more gas in and she went to i think seven gas stations um five of them were completely out and the other one had a line uh going out into the street and down the road uh there just is no gas and i'm not sure if this is panic or if this is real and maybe it's a little of both um you know gas is going to get to atlanta they're going to put it on trucks and they're going to send it on in fact uh, uh governor nathan deal has already uh, uh, declared a state of emergency, uh, not because uh, we're all going to die, but because that emergency uh, declaration gives him some special powers, one of which is he has suspended the rules about um, uh, driver hours. So tanker truck drivers no longer have to uh, stop after, you know, wh- however many hours it is. During the state of emergency, they can drive as long as they want. So they're going to put gas on trucks and they're going to drive it up. And, uh, of course, that costs more than pumping it through a gas line. So it's going to cost more. But I'm not sure that it's appropriate to panic. But at the same time, I'm not sure that come this time next week, I'm going to be able to get to work. And there's a new season of The Walking Dead starting. Uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's what it's all about. <laughs> so, Mark, you want me to, like, load up some uh, gas cans and drive out to Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Would you do that? Just uh, load a tanker truck up. You could actually sell it probably at 6 or $7 a gallon right now. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. If you loaded a tanker truck up, uh, you know, just one of those big uh, 150 or well, I guess they'd probably be more like a thousand gallon tanks that people put in the backs of pickups to water uh, fields. Right. If you filled one of those with gasoline, that, uh, you know, $100,000 um, or whatever investment would net you tens of uh, uh times over that around here because uh i mean people are legitimately desperate and i'm not sure if the panic caused the problem or if the problem caused the panic it's still too early to tell it just happened yesterday morning saturday morning that we record sunday night so it's been less than 48 hours um and i don't know if people panicked because they heard the news or if we're just literally that short like one day of no gas does this um and and i they're there is a thing called just-in-time delivery. Everybody wants to not be storing anything. Um, that's right. the way the system is designed. And that's one of, you know, if you read all the the zombie things, that's one of the uh, harbingers of doom in that if that supply line is disrupted, the world doesn't have what it needs. Like there's only maybe three days worth of groceries in all the grocery stores combined in the country. And if we don't get groceries coming in, people don't eat, um, you know. It's uh, and so uh, you know, Chag in the chat room says that uh, uh, in North Carolina, people aren't panicking yet. Um, but you know, it's a, it's going to affect people all the way up uh, up the East Coast because this pipeline feeds all the way up to New York. But the people up in the in the far north have other pipelines they can draw from. Here in Atlanta, that pipeline literally comes into Atlanta and then is pumped out from Atlanta. So we don't have any other choices. Uh, it, it it illustrates the the dangers of the just-in-time delivery system in that um, when that one method breaks, 
we got nothing. And and I know it's unprecedented for a pipe to break. Apparently, that's never happened in the history of time. Uh, so this is a unique experience where a pipe broke and we can't get stuff. Well, Did if you bump into a Tesla owner with a big smirk on his face, you have <laughs> permission to kick him. Yeah, he'll be giving rides for like, you know, $18 a mile or something. He'll clean up on Uber before yeah. they get the gas. Uh, one of my coworkers uh, drives a hybrid. It's one of those where the the engine is only there to to charge the batteries, um, and so it's a big SUV that gets like forty five miles to the gallon, which is pretty cool. It, it has zero performance. If you want to pass, it'll happen sometime in the next fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, but you know, this coworker is going to be um, you know pretty smug. I can imagine when all of us are calling into work saying, "I, I can't get to work today. No gas." Um, although, you know, they may be actually upset that they can go to work. That may be a problem. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, you have to go to it work. Does make, it does make you think, though. I mean, they talk about all these solar flares and stuff like that that can, like, wipe out or EMP out a electrical supply for weeks or something and the, the chaos it would, you know, cause. Is it, should, you know, I, I don't want to put on my tinfoil hat on this, but is this something we should be worried about? You know, where I live, I am literally the last pole on the line from the electric company. It ends at our house. And so, you know, if there's ever a storm, like, and they, the electric company is east of us. So the storm will roll over my house and I'll have power and then it'll pass and go east. And all of a sudden I'll lose power because something happened to the transmission line. And I always told my dad, you know, we should have like a generator, you know, not like a huge, you know, uh, 40,000 RPM diesel thing taking up the whole house size. But, you know, something like that, that would just get you through that couple of days or in, in, in that case, a couple of hours. But there was a time and I wish I could remember, maybe it's been almost 10 years that a hurricane hit the coast and it kind of came up and the eye went just to the south and then to the east of us and you know they were talking about how oh you should stock up and all of this and i'm like dude we're so far inland we're just going to get wind and rain and so you know when the hurricane came and the water's blowing sideways and you know it was like 30 mile an hour wind i was like I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to drive to Walmart and, you know, just pick up a little. And so I walked down the aisle for bottled water. And I mean, it looks, it looked like the zombie apocalypse had happened. There was, there was no water. There was no soda. There was no nothing because people panicked because they weren't prepared initially. And this isn't like being prepper, stupid, you know, Uber prepared. This is just like, you know, you should have enough food in your house for a couple of days. And if that's the case, then you're fine. But people aren't and so something happens and it creates panic because everybody goes out and tries to get to the level that they should have been at all along and that's what causes the problem yeah yeah i can i can relate i i lived through the 1994 earthquake in los angeles we were i don't know maybe five miles or six miles from the epicenter and uh i remember going to my house was okay. I mean, it depended which which direction you were from the epicenter. It's like the waves of the the earth sort of spread out at different angles. Uh, we didn't really get too badly affected, but I remember going down to the local 
supermarket. You know, of course, it was all closed, but they had opened it up for water supply. And people were killing each other trying to get this, you know, water. And, you know, we were we were offline for maybe a day at this point. And I'm thinking, really? Come on. This is a bit, you know, eventually everything got back to normal. But it, it's crazy how people react to that sort of thing. It's very unpredictable. You know, and it's it's uh, Chad brought up in the chat room. It's it's one of the things that that people talk about all the time is that America is not making significant investments in infrastructure and hasn't been for decades. You know, and I don't know what caused this particular pipe. the 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 the, the couple of newspaper articles I read, they didn't know. Um, so it's it's still under dis, uh, 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 investigation. It could be rust it could be deterioration or it could just be you know there was a um, a small earthquake or you know we just don't know what caused it and so i'm not w- willing to blame it on um poor infrastructure just yet but it does it is sort of a harbinger of of things to come right maybe you know it's like we're we're coasting by off of the strength of how great we were and if we don't invest, you know, it's it's sort of like if you're somebody who works out and you built up a buff body, you could kind of start cutting back and then cruising on how well you built up. And then so you stop working out and this fat slob over here starts working out. It'll get to the point to where the guy who was in shape still looks like he's in shape and the guy who was a fat slob still looks like a fat slob. But the guy who looks like a fat slob would be able to destroy the guy who looked good because he kept the form of what he had when underneath he had all deteriorated. And this other guy who had nothing built himself up. And unfortunately, here in America, we're coasting on how great we were and we're not paying for the next generation to be great, you know, because we'd rather have our iPhone seven with our four thousand dollar headphones now. Um <laughs> Uh, something like that. You know, I don't know if we wanted to like really go political. Well, you know, going political is sort of what we do best. Um, and none of this was something that, that I'd planned to talk about, but it just, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, it, it makes you think, uh, we're not to the point of, you know, there, as far as I know, there hasn't been any looting or fighting or anything like that, but, um, there, there are people waiting in line to get gas do all of those people really need gas today? I, I don't think so. Um, I filled up my truck because it was time to fill up my truck. Um, I didn't make a special trip for it. I was already out. I was already driving past a gas station. Um, and it had, uh, it had gas uh, at it. It was, uh, several miles from my home. It was, uh, it was, I was leaving church going the opposite direction, uh, to get something to eat. And I stopped uh, at the gas station there that was busy, but not, you know, lines around the corner. But all they had was uh, the regular unleaded 87 octane. They didn't have the mid-grade or the premium. They Those were uh, turned off. It seems to me that if you were going to run out, you'd run out of the cheap stuff first. But I, I don't know. Maybe they just, it, maybe it was just a, a problem with their, maybe the pipeline is only sending the the mid-grade stuff right if it's if it's already refined the pipeline is only going to be sending one of those two types of oil right so most people don't realize that that there are three grades there's the premium there's the low grade and then there's a mid-grade the mid-grade is just a mix of the two um they don't even have three tanks at most gas stations there are two tanks and then a mixing uh chamber it's not really a full tank so maybe only the premium one 
is running out and people are panicking and buying all the low grade. I don't know. But it uh, again, it's there's a lot of unknowns, but it seems to me that if it's pumping refined gasoline and it's not uh running to a refinery, then it can only be pumping one of those two. So we should have an ample supply of the other one. Right? You know, Mark, you can't really apply logic and reason <laughs> to remember. Remember, it's it's uh, your favorite quote from Men in Black. A person is smart, but people are stupid. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's that mom mentality. And just think if everybody had a five gallon gas can in their garage that they used and uh, they kept full. Then everybody would just use that, and then the supply would be fixed in a couple of days because, you know, those pipelines pump, and they charge per, like, how many gallons go through them, and the people who own the pipelines, that's how they make their money. So if there's no gas flowing through, they're losing money. So you can bet that there's double and triple golden time over time, and people are being flown in, and that pipe's getting fixed, and the gas is going to flow because the company that owns that pipeline, they want to get paid. So it's not going to be a long time. You know, it's the greed in that case is a good situation. Yeah. Hey, we can work an eight-hour shift and be done in a month and lose money for that, or we can have work 24-7 and be done in two weeks and only lose two weeks worth of income so we've spent twice as much money but we're only losing half the amount so it's a win-win situation for everybody (laughs) bicycles people bicycles well i i work 23 miles from home a bicycle uh while is a is an option is not an option for me you know there are people who could bike you know 46 miles a day and people who do but this fat boy ain't one of them so, you know, the the problem is not the way we get around, it's where we get to. Uh the the fact that uh, America is such a car heavy culture, we have built our lives around the assumption of easy cheap transportation. Do you think though we can we can be a more a remote workforce? I mean, that yes. was always kind of the promise of the internet, right? Yes, I, for example, what I do, I could do 94% of my job remotely and and in fact i do work remotely one day a week and that one day a week um there's nothing that i can't do other than you know meet face to face with people uh we have you know instant messaging uh uh, uh, skype for business we have uh citrix lets me literally work on my same workstation it's not even a, a an approximation of it it is a remote access into my workstation uh all of the software that we use is hosted um so there's there's almost nothing. I mean, there are some things. Uh, some amount of collaboration is dampened, um, you know. And and I don't forward my desk uh, calls to my phone on those days. My cell phone, uh, I could, but they don't pay me for my minutes, so I don't do that. Um, but with a few tweaks, you know, a, har- a small, inexpensive hardware VPN at my office, I could do everything I do. Uh, you know, remotely. And I think most people could, but companies are so afraid that if people are working from home, the first word isn't happening. They're just from home. Um, and, you know, maybe the problem isn't that we can't do it as a nation, but that we're unwilling to. Uh, and or, or maybe it's inappropriate distrust. But uh, I mean, it's very common that companies do not trust their employees if they can't see them. To the point of, you know, the modern redesign now is the open workforce plan 
where you don't even get cubicles anymore. They say it's all about collaboration, but I know it's all about the manager being being able to see everybody they manage at a glance. And yeah, that's interesting. There's a there's a growing movement, particularly out of a lot of the San Francisco and Silicon Valley companies, to uh, allow workers to be as remote as possible. In fact, the workers have started taking advantage of this, and there's this subculture called digital nomads. I'm not sure if you've come across this before, but they're like uh, tech workers, like programmers or content creators or graphic designers, anybody who can do work predominantly from a computer. And they've been able to lobby their employers to be able to work from home to avoid all the things we're talking about, like traffic and gas and all of the congestion and all of that. Uh, but then when the employer said, okay, we'll let you work as a remote worker, they then went and had and said, okay, well, if that's the case, I'm moving to Thailand or I'm moving to Prague or somewhere like that. And what's happened is that there's this mass movement of these tech workers that are like tribal uh, migration and they've all gone and bought buildings or rented places all together so they have that sort of social thing but in a country that costs them you know a dollar a day to live uh, as long as it's got good internet that's good and then they just move from place to place every maybe three months they just pick up the laptop and i'm going to mexico or i'm going to guatemala or i'm going to you know iceland or wherever they want to end up but they still keep working that way and um what's happened is a lot of companies have kind of realized that this is an opportunity for them to get the best workers and and to create that environment. So uh, companies like the guy who invented Ruby on Rails, his entire company works this way. They're all remote workers. Uh, WordPress, they're all the remote workers. Um, and this is becoming very, very popular. One of these days, it may be an option. But, but I, I hear what you're saying. There's still that mentality in bosses and in business that if I can't see the worker, they're not working. And uh, maybe maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. And then there's also the, the the mentality from upper management. And, you know, okay, everything can be abused. Management can abuse their labor. Labor can abuse management. So peop- labor wants to do nothing and get paid. I understand that. Managers want people to do everything and not get paid. So there's a sense from if you're at the office and everything that you need to do for your job is done, there's a sense you better find something to at least look busy. Because God forbid two people who have all of their sections work caught up are talking about something and not at least pretending to work. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those where there's a sense you're getting paid. I expect you to at least look like you're doing something not, Oh, that job's done. Awesome. You're here if an emergency happens. And so there's, like I say, people, it can be abused by both sides. It has been abused by both sides, but until that, Hey, you're paid for this job. This job is done. So congratulations, you know, you're, you're, you'll get paid to do the job again kind of thing. But that mentality and, you know, I don't, I don't know how to weigh that out, but that's a lot of it. If, if you're working from home and you finish your job, if it only took you four hours and you know, if you're, if you're getting paid hourly, then you've got to find something to do for the other four hours. But if you're getting paid a salary, then, you know, the company might not like it because, Hey, he finished his job in four hours, but yet we're paying him the equivalent of eight hour job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I heard a statistic, um, couple of days ago and it kind of freaked me out 
by 2020, 6% of all US workers' jobs will be replaced with robots. 6%. So that's a huge number of jobs. So maybe we should be looking for work that enables you that freedom and enables you that ability to sort of decouple from the traditional job because that traditional job may not even be there. Yeah, well, be. And, and that's sort of the goal of technologists, right? That the, They want to put people out of work, not directly, but as technology gets better at what it does, you know, uh, like there, there are not, um, not as many welders, for example, as there were uh, 70 years ago. Because welding is a largely robotic thing now. You know, GM doesn't employ hundreds of line-level welders. They employ dozens of line-level robot welders. Um, and that's just one example of, of you know, things getting um, digital digitized. You know, I, I think I'm sure I've mentioned it before because it's one of my favorite quotes. I was reading a, uh, an article written in the 60s and and one of the things it said was that the modern uh, advancements in technology will allow the average businessman to work only 20 hours a week and you know those of us who uh you know feel a 50 hour a week uh uh 50 hours in a week is a, is like part time um we laugh at that but the the reality is that we can do everything that that worker in 1950 or 1960 did in less than 20 hours. So it's not that we're not as productive as the future promised, but we're doing far more. We're so much more productive that you would get fired for doing what a business man in the fifties did in, you know, a week. Like for example, one spreadsheet filled out in 10 minutes is essentially an accountant's week in 1956 with a with a slide ruler and paper right and what did you do you you entered the number and the computer did everything else so yeah and that's why it becomes almost impossible to do something by hand and be financially competitive in the marketplace because you have to spend so long doing you know, it might take as long to do it by hand the first time as it does to set it up for the computer to do it. And so that time it's a wash. But then when the second time comes in, you've got to do it all by hand again. And the computer, you put the you put the number in and you're done. So, you know, short term, hey, it takes just as long. But long term, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're replacing entire departments with a machine that if you're if you have big pockets like me you can literally fit it in a pocket right god forbid the day when we have robot unions <laughs> well you know the key to making robots is to keep them from becoming sentient because once they become sentient that's the end of the age of man even if they're yeah. a benevolent sentience you know that's it well, wow, so this was a big, long, like, 30-minute discussion uh, that wasn't planned for. But I, I like these kind of discussions. I, I like the fact that we have some smart guys here and, and we can have smart discussions. Um, but th this, you know, I don't know if it's illustrative or not. I can't quite decide. Uh, um, you know, audience, what do you think? Let us know. Is this one situation here in Atlanta illustrative of the future, or is this an anomaly? Are we going to get so much better that breakdowns like this won't happen I mean, I guess that's a possibility, right? Um, 
this this breakdown might have simply been a failure of imagination. We we didn't imagine that whatever happened uh, was going to happen, or it could be plain old uh, not my problem. In that this was a fifty year old pipeline that is underground, and the earth is reclaiming a little bit every day. And somebody forty five years ago said we need to schedule major maintenance on this in about twenty thirteen. And when 2013 came around, they said, eh, I'm two years from retirement. We'll deal with that later. Um, either of those is is entirely likely. You know, I think it's that we just got lazy because has you been, I've been thinking, you know, when I was a kid, my grandpa, he, he, you know, he didn't have hundreds of acres of farming, but he, uh, he lived inside Dallas and he had like a five acre farm. He sold that when I was like eight and moved out in the country, bought 70 acres and put money in the bank. That taught me a lot about real estate. I went, wow, maybe it is location. But so he farmed, you know, 20, 30 acres of that. But one thing, he always had a gas can with gas in it, either in the garage or in the shed. Um, or actually probably both. He probably had one in the garage and in the shed, but it was at least one of those had gas. And so he was never out of gas. He would just, if gas got too low and he need, you know, he would use his gas can and then the next day or whatever, he would then go to the store, fill up his truck and fill up the gas can. If people had that same level of forethought and that same level, you know, of self reliance then it wouldn't be an issue but we've gotten lazy with i can drive to the store and pick up something on my way home i don't even want to go to the grocery store i'm just going to go to the convenience store and get it so i'm going to have this refrigerator but yet i'm never going to use anything out of it because i'm always going to go out to eat but then when there's no gas i can't do anything because i don't have anything at home to get me through the two days until there's gas again so i think it's just that people are lazy Okay, I mean, lazy is one way to look at that, or you could look at that as, you know, we have um, a more ready supply and easier access to gasoline than your grandfather did, uh, and so we've just accepted the status quo, um, you know, uh, where we shouldn't have. Yeah. All right, I, I think we're we're dancing around now and and um but it was it's just it got me to thinking um so uh, let's talk about some other things that should get you to thinking if it's done right miles tell us about snowden the movie oh yeah i I got to see that today it's it came out friday to two days ago and uh man this is really cool uh it's an oliver stone movie um very it well done very impressive uh it it kind of reminds me a lot like the old JFK movie he did. But I think that the interesting thing about this movie is that I certainly in the geek world, we probably all know the Edward Snowden story because, you know, we've dealt with it for the last three or four years. Um, this was one of those ways that it was told as a docudrama, but focusing on all of the things that led up to his decision to go public and be the whistleblower. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of the things that if you've, if you've ever seen Citizen Four or is it Citizen Four? Yeah. yeah. That was the other one, right? 
Well, you've seen some of the various documentaries about what happened, the escaping from Hong Kong into Russia and all that sort of thing. Um, you pretty much know what occurred when we all started realizing that, you know, Verizon's given up our phone records and the metadata and all that stuff. So we, we kind of knew what happened from then on, but what we didn't know, what led up to this whole thing. And, and what, um, what Oliver Stone's done very well is to tell the story of Snowden from when he first enlisted in the military all the way through his career in the CIA and the NSA and, um, you know, his sort of advancing and the mentorship he had within the security community um, and how he gets to the point of starting to see where everything was going wrong from the inside and how he makes that leap from uh, doing what he believed was his duty in terms of serving his country and everything to actually realizing that, you know, things have gone horribly wrong and he has to take a stand and he was the only one willing to, to effectively do it. So I think Oliver Stone did an excellent job in telling that part of the story. But what happens, the, the stuff that we're probably used to seeing, the, the hotel room in Hong Kong when he was, when the, the Laura Porteous documentary was being filmed and the footage that we probably all pretty much saw on the news, that was minimal in this movie. I mean, it was there as an anchor point, but it was there to try to allow uh, history to fall back to it. Um, what was missing, I thought, was the escape from Hong Kong part that to me was kind of like the ultimate drama portrayal that could have been told. It was kind of skipped over. In fact, it was skipped over so quickly. It was almost like uh, frame by frame by frame by frame and two minutes later, you, you know, he's out. Hmm. Um, and it's not like I can tell you about this movie and, you know, spoiler alert or whatever, because we all know what happens, right? right? I mean, the, the boat sinks I, and yeah. everybody dies. But what I can tell you, which was a little unexpected, is Edward Snowden himself appears in this movie. He actually is a character in his own story. And huh. it's brilliant the way that was transitioned in from the actor portraying him. And then when you least expect it, there's Edward Snowden, <laughs> which um, is kind of surprising. But no, I would absolutely suggest if you haven't seen this already or you're planning on, make sure you do see it. It's very, very good. Um, it is also a, a, a very much a, a kind of a, I don't know, it's not unbridled, but it's this hidden plea to Obama to pardon this guy before he leaves office. And that that is kind of pushed through in the story, particularly towards the very end, um, you know, that this is something that should be done or whatever. And whether or not, you know, you believe him to be a traitor or you believe him to be a patriot or whatever you believe – this movie certainly is um, biased <laughs> yeah. and on the Patriot side. Um, but that said, it's really enjoyable and it, it it's certainly worth, you know, the, the, the entrance fee to go and see it. So uh, unrelated but related, uh, the little red disc that came in the mail for me this week was Citizen Four, uh, the documentary about uh, Snowden and the, the conversations that, that happened in the hotel room. Um, and I felt it also was biased, as all documentaries are. Let's just be honest about that. You don't become a documentarian unless you want, have a particular story you want to tell. Um, but it was also very tinfoil hat wingnut. They're all out to get us. 
uh, you know, let me unplug my IP phone because they might be listening in. Um, but at the same time, that's that's Edward Snowden, right? He he is a he's a tinfoil hat uh, kind of guy, but he has the the expertise to back that up. Uh, at the same time, I found that. I, w- I would not call it a fascinating documentary, certainly not the best documentary I've ever seen. It's definitely worth watching if you're interested in the events of it. But interestingly, they too sort of glossed over the escape from Hong Kong. It was, okay, uh, we're on the phone with our lawyer, and now we're in Russia. Um, and, you know, maybe the reason for that is uh, if that story is told, people go to prison. Um, I don't really know. But, I mean, I think he got out legally. You, he used a human rights attorney uh, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the end of that, you know, he was, uh, they showed a, a shot of him, you know, making spaghetti with his girlfriend in Russia and with some ominous subtitles of, you know, the, he's on a watch list and, you know, whatever. Um, my personal take on it, uh, is that Snowden is both a patriot and a felon. And I, uh, he, he committed crimes. There is no way around that. What he did was illegal, uh, and uh, not only illegal, but he broke his own promise uh, to keep secrets. Uh, I, I believe he did so for moral reasons, but he did an immoral thing for moral reasons, uh, and I don't think he deserves to be pardoned. Nor just you know based on that that movie there and his uh, representing himself in a candid way. Does he expect to be? Um, he did what he did because he felt that people needed to know what was going on. And he, from the beginning, he was like, paint the target on me. I'm the one doing this. Don't, don't try to, 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 uh, let anybody else take the blame for this. I'm going to take the heat for this because it's the right thing to do. A very moral and courageous stance. Um, the, there's every reason to believe that he might someday be hung as a tree, a traitor. Um, that, that's a very real possibility. Uh, but he was willing to do that because he felt that that the American ne- people needed to know what their own government was doing. So he's both a hero uh, and a patriot and a felon. I said both and then put three things in there. Um, he's a hero and a criminal at the same time. And uh, I'm okay with those two things being a thing. You know, uh, the, the, the founding fathers who signed the uh, Declaration of Independence were traitors and criminals, and they were signing their own death warrant. Um, fortunately they managed to win, uh, more battles than they lost. And so they became heroes and founding fathers. But I, I have no doubt that each one of them will tell you, uh, you know, if asked, I was a traitor, uh, I committed high treason, uh, and I deserved the penalty of death if we didn't succeed. And I think Snowden is, is in the same boat there. So I would not support, um, a, uh, a pardoned movement, but I also wouldn't get mad if he was pardoned. Because, you know, that's sort of what presidential pardons are for. It's to to commute the sentence of somebody who uh, has, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, does not deserve what they deserve, right? Unfortunately, presidential pardons are often a way to uh, clear the docket and to pay back political favors. But I think this is a case where a, a presidential pardon would be completely appropriate, but also I don't think it's right for him to... to break the law in such an egregious way and get off of it. So, you know, I'm writing both sides of the fence there. Um, neither thing would make me mad. If he was hung as a traitor, um, I would say he deserved that for what he did. If he was pardoned, I would say he deserved that for what he did. 
Mm. Well, there is a movie uh, or a documentary that was made about his escape from Hong Kong. And I think it was, uh, I know it was on SBS, the network out of Australia. I think it might have been uh, funded by them. But what is rarely told is the role that WikiLeaks had in that entire ordeal. They pretty much underwrite his entire escape. Uh, in fact, one of the, uh, a, an Australian girl, and I can't think of the name, but she pretty much lived with Snowden through the three or four weeks that he was stuck in that airport in Moscow. She was there all the way through it. They filmed most of that, and they spoke about the whole process, and you could see the fear in, in Snowden's face at, at every moment when he was not sure what was going to go on. And then eventually Russia stepped up and gave him uh, asylum. But his original intention was to get to Ecuador, and you know that that was always being underwritten by the fact that Julian Assange was in the Ecuadorian embassy and he could lobby the Ecuadorian government to give this guy safe passage. The problem is they couldn't get a plane from Moscow to Ecuador without uh, it stopping somewhere and the guy didn't have a passport. So, you know, it was no way he could get on a plane, I guess. I mean, I don't know about this diplomatic rule set, but... Yeah, there, there was a lot going on there. And, and you're right, a lot was never told. It wasn't told in this movie. It wasn't told in Citizen Four. But there are other uh, records of this that were videotaped and, and do tell the, to the story. Whether the guy ever gets out of Russia is, uh, I don't know. That's an interesting one. I don't know. I, the way I look at it is whistleblowers, to me, do an incredible service of transparency to all of us so that we get to actually see a lot more about what's going on so we can make informed decisions about what we feel about topic A, topic B, or topic C. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. And without them, it's very, very hard to have, it, have a, an informed opinion on anything because you're basically parroting what you see on news and so on. With them um, and what they do, if we don't have a rule of law, well, you know, then all hell breaks loose, right? So at some point, they have to be recognised as breaking that rule of law. Question is whether or not that, what, what level of uh, punishment is fitting the crime? Um, it is a crime, yes, but is it a is it a crime for humanity or is it a crime against humanity? I don't know. So the the question that determines your side of the issue is: Were the laws that were broken? just laws or were they power grabbing by the bureaucracy behind the government if you think they were just laws then you know hang the bleep he's a traitor if you think they were power grabbing bureaucratic tools then he's a patriot and should be free and you know rage against the system well governments need secrets i accept that as a reality Right. Governments need secrets from other governments, and uh, to an extent, governments need secrets from their own people. But I believe that those secrets are, you know, a, a very narrow in scale. Uh, and so if you're talking about the law, the law he broke was leaking government secrets. Uh, the law he broke was uh, suborning uh, perjury and perjuring himself in that he, well, perjury is not the right word. Uh, he, he violated his oath of office, um, which is both a, a you know, again, a, a moral offense and a legal offense. So you put it in that very black and white terms. Is the law just? Yes, I believe the law is just. Governments are allowed to have secrets. The scope of the law, the implementation of that law was, uh, I think, clearly demonstrated by Snowden to be completely egregious. Uh, and that's why he stepped out. So uh, it's not as, as easy as, as A or B in that case. It's not, uh, did he break the law? Yes, he broke the law. 
Um, you know, it's we've talked about this many times. There are things that are that are right but not legal, and things that are legal but not right. Um, what he did was right but not legal, um, and he was morally justified in doing what he did. And I, I accept that. I believe that. I I would argue that. But the fact is, he broke a legally enforced, legally in placed, uh, judicially approved law. All three branches of government uh, had oversight over that law. Uh, the law that governments get to tell secrets, governments uh, get to uh, have secrets, rather, governments get to classify things, and anybody who leaks classified information um, is uh, guilty of the highest crimes. Uh, th- that is a law that has been a law for as long as we've been a country. Uh, and so I, ac- I accept the fact that he broke the law, and I'm not willing to say that the law is unjust. Certainly the implementation of it uh, was unjust, and that's one of, what, one of the things that Snowden showed us. Well, there's more than just the law here, though. The thing is that um, like I, I've I've had a secret clearance before in in my time when I worked for a defence contractor, and when you take that on, you're taking more of an oath of uh, supporting your country in the same way that a, a an army recruit would take an oath, or a, you know anybody serving in a form of of the military. The level of law there is not just about what's written on the page. It's about the ethics and the spirit of what you're doing to support your country. And I think that the questions which come up out of this movie is whether or not he actually did what was ethically supporting his country by going public or whether or not by by just being pure to the tradition of a written law whether in fact it was not being patriotic to his duty of the country. And you're not, you know, any good filmmaker would leave you with that question. You have to walk away making the decision of how you feel on that for yourself. That's great because that's how a good documentary should be, should be made. But at the end of the day, the decision to serve your country and, and to devote yourself to it, um, it trumps everything. It almost trumps law. And this is the problem inside the, the military establishments, whether you be a def- contractor or, a, or a, a, a serviceman or a civilian in, in working in the military. You have to take that oath that says that country first. And no matter what happens, you've got to make a decision, country first. Well, if you don't have all of the facts, and you can't see the entirety of anything, how can you make a decision? And I think that was... The problem was, as Snowden continued his career, he saw more and more and more of what he didn't expect to see. And when he was able to see the whole thing, then his decision was easy to make. And for him, he chose to go public. And as a result, he got charged with you know, espionage. Seth, any thoughts before we leave this subject? No, I mean, you know, I, I totally... I said law, but you know right. there there's the law that's written, and then the the law has it's applied via precedent and fiat and all the other kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I don't know it. I I really want to see the movie because you know I mean I know the the gist of the story, and so of course I know that this there's there's you know license and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. So. And I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome of Edward Snowden's actions. Um, <clears throat> with one way or another, love him or hate him, the world will never be the same after after his actions. Um, history will tell us whether he is a, a hero or a villain, and that history will be written by the victors, right? Um, if, the, if the truthers win, 
then he's a hero. If the establishment wins, then he's a villain. And, uh, you know, we, we can't know that in our lifetime. He will never know the full impact of what he did. But I believe that as a technological citizen of the world, I am in a better place today than I was in 2011 before he, yeah, he did what he did. He certainly redefined the term hacker, right? Um, which I've always had a bad problem. I've always had a problem with that term because it's always been used by media in a negative context. In fact, I feel it's more of a positive thing than anything, but, but that's me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this guy's got mad props, that's for sure. I mean, one of the things that I've said from the beginning, and, and I'll say it again, is that I have no problem with the NSA wiretapping and, and, and capturing data and, and doing all the things that they did for non-citizens and criminals who have lost their uh, basic rights as citizens. And there, are, there is a class of citizens, that uh, of criminals, that are classified that way. The problem is that the NSA has no charter to spy on its own people. They violated their own charter because it was easier. Let's just capture everything and then search it later. The searching it later may have been on, a, on the up and up. The capturing everything was not. And, and that's the problem. Uh, and you know, and the government uh, needs to respond, uh, be needs to answer to that. But I think that they they will never answer to it. Not uh, not the individuals and not the government as a whole, because the American people are unwilling to push the issue. But we, the American people, are the ones who were wronged here. It is not the government that was wronged. It is the American people. And, of course, the government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. And it was clearly demonstrated that though, that, that is not the case. Um, and so there's, there's the thing. We, as, as citizens of, of the country and of the world, need to um, take action based on this. And as we've lamented so many times before, um, the action-taking part of our society is, is pretty heavily atrophied at this point. You know, and another thing that's that people aren't going to take action on, but and they should, is the fact that uh, it, it is law in North Carolina that you can't have good internet access. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, um, and it was they passed the law. The uh, well, no, there wasn't a law passed. The FCC interpreted. They wrote like an unenforceable law, saying, "Hey, you know, utilities that offer." high-speed internet you are allowed to offer high-speed internet outside the bounds of your municipality so the city of you know saskatchewan north carolina i don't even think there is one that doesn't matter they're only allowed by the charter the utility commission to offer internet services within the city limits and so the fcc came up with a thing and said hey it's okay you can go outside your city limits and offer it well some of the states on behalf of the monopolies that they created took this uh took the fcc to court and they won saying that nope you're only allowed to offer that within the confines of your municipality so all you people who paid for it the the utility who put the money out to, you know, increase their infrastructure. Tough luck on you. We're going to protect the monopolies that we created and leave everybody stranded high and dry with crappy internet and the monopolies have no reason to upgrade because there's not another game in town for them to go play. Yep. Uh, reading this article from Ars Technica, uh, the company was named Greenlight and their uh, fiber network provided speeds of minimum of 40 megabits 
maximum of one gigabit. Uh, minimum price forty dollars. Maximum price a hundred dollars. So you were paying uh, ten dollars per uh, megabit. A uh, hundred dollar gigabit. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm paying. I'm paying a hundred and twenty for uh, ninety megabits. <laughs> um, so man, I would be all over that in a heartbeat. And a lot of people were. Uh, and that's what people didn't like. Uh, and people being the the other the the, the this is uh, anti competitive. It's considered a monopoly when um, a municipality that has no not only no charter to make profit but actually cannot make profit is undercutting the business of people who do make profit. And so this they went and said these people. It's it's like for example using prison workers for construction projects. That was a thing that happened. Uh, uh, commonly in the 20s and 30s. Prison workers don't have a choice. These are not laborers. These people are not paid to do what they do. So a prison uh, work uh, detail could undercut any construction co- uh, project anywhere. Um, and they did. And and so the, the, the jailers were lining their pockets and uh, businesses were being undercut. That's when these uh, laws came into place, that municipalities, things that are funded by public funds, can't undercut the businesses that fund them so again you go back in time all of this makes perfect sense but today what it means is i can't have good internet yeah and especially because in this specific case um green light already provided utilities to pine tops and so it's not like they were opening a new market they since they were already providing utilities so there was no utility company in that city to do their own service so hey we've got this we'll just extend our infrastructure and actually the infrastructure is already there because we use smart meters we'll go ahead and give you um internet access so you know in this particular case Anyway, you know, we've lamented the fact here that the problem in America is that the monopolies created by the government and carved out, whether it be the cable monopolies, you know, or phone, phone is obviously a little better because, you know, I remember the whole, I think it it was either Sprint or MCI, and then they later merged, they broke up the the, uh, AT&T monopoly, the Bell monopoly, Um, so But there's this huge problem where there is no competition, and the one thing that the American economy has proved is that competition gives you better prices and better products because you have a reason to put forth good stuff. If nobody else can do what I do, I can do it just as crappy as I want to, and I can charge you just as much money for it, and I'm the only game in town. And anybody who tries to come bring their game here, I sick the government on them. Yeah, I that's mean, oligarchy, isn't it? And yeah, all governments we, are monopolies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, charter's not a government. Maybe. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they're the, you know, charter and Time Warner. They're the cabal that's actually running. It's not the Illuminati. It's the cable companies. We've just had it wrong all these years. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Miles? Well, I, uh, we're still, I'm still living with 12 megabit per second download internet here. In our home so and you know i mean i'm sure there's people having way worse than that out there in the world so i, I shouldn't eight. complain but you get eight right there you go but uh, we did get a letter this week from from our internet provider cox which i haven't opened yet but it, i know that we're out there laying fiber in the street so i'm hopeful that you know the 100 gigabit internet pipe 
will soon be upon me. And then at that point, I'll be very, very happy and, and you know, going crazy with my Netflix. And But at this point, you know, I'm still living, I guess, in, in the dark ages of bandwidth. Yeah, I, I pay uh, what for me seems like an awful lot of money, uh, $120 a month. I get 100 down and 20 up. Um, the 20 up was specifically so I could stream this show to YouTube. If you're watching the show on YouTube, you see how well that's working. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, the, the thing is a hundred dollars a month or 120 is, um, a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for what I get, you know, and it, it's uh, a few years ago. I remember, well, this is more than a few years ago. This is 1998 ish. I was trying to negotiate a contract for the school that I worked for. And we were trying to buy some T1s, AT1, 1.5 megabits, 1.5 megabits, synchronous, okay? Um, So it was 1.5 down, 1.5 up. And we were looking at $7,000 a month for 1.5 megabits. Um, So they tried to sell us on a frac T1, which was basically, you know, 512 or 256K. And, but now, you know, I've got 100 megabits uh, at a, at a hundred dollars a month, call it call it a dollar a megabit. Um, they were charging uh, you know a dollar per ten megabits at Greenlight. Uh, so the 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 writing is on the wall for paying exorbitant prices. Already, the rest of the world has better internet uh, at lower prices than Americans. Um, but at the same time, you know we we uh, we have things pretty good uh, in terms of you know comparing history to history. But the thing that interests me about this is not that we're cutting off the internet, but the 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 politics behind it. Because everybody, again, everybody has a good point. Uh, Cox and and uh, Comcast and AT and T can't do business if um, tax funded entities are going to be undercutting them at every step. These these rules were put into place for logical and and reasonable reasons. Um, but at the same time, they're harming people. In this case. You know, they, they just sort of made an example uh, because the people who made these people in Pine Top lose their internet access have no interest in providing internet access to Pine Top, North Carolina. Uh, they're not going to be running out. They're not losing a single customer over this, not one. But this is, de, you know, I have to defend my position because later I may need to defend my position. And if uh, some lawyer uh, in a in a slick suit in a in a courtroom might say, "Well, look at this company or this county that's been doing this for a decade, and you haven't cared. Now, why do you care?" This is all about future grandstanding, um, and so that's when things have gone the wrong down the wrong lane. When somebody who um, uses a, a reasonable law for unreasonable purposes, then something has to be done about it. And in this case, the FCC they said, "All right, we'll allow some leniency in this." Because they saw that it was reasonable for these people in Pine Top to be served by somebody because nobody else was interested in serving them. But, you know, a court said, you don't have the right to do that, FCC. You can't grant leniency. And again, the court is right. Everybody's right. But it presents a situation where everybody loses. Have you ever heard of a device called a karma? I'm not sure if this is commonly found. Karma is a little hockey puck size uh, MiFi uh, thing. And it was originally a Kickstarter project. So a bunch of uh, people with the greatest intentions decided they wanted to get these devices. I guess they're made in China or somewhere and they signed a deal with Sprint or Verizon or some one of the larger carriers 
to bundle a package where you would pay about $150 for this little hockey puck device and you would get literally unlimited broadband Wi-Fi internet with speeds as minimum, I think, was five megabit per second down. And, you know, the people at the RV community went nuts for this. I mean, they wanted this thing so bad. And these guys must have shipped thousands and thousands of these units and signed people up for this. And it was one of those, you know, you pay per month and it's an all-you-can-eat kind of unlimited deal. Well, um, within three months of them releasing the product last year, they started to have to scale back everything. And, of course, everyone's now crying foul on this because they all signed up for unlimited internet and bought this thing. And, and, and it went down individually. It started off with, you know, if you exceed 15 gigabytes worth of downloads, we're going to start to scale back the speed. And then it went to, oh, you can't have more than 2 megabit per second speed regardless of how much you downloaded. And then it went to, you know what, you can't have more than five gigabits worth of bandwidth ever, and that's all you can ever get. And then they ended up saying, okay, well, we're not going to do any monthly deal, and you just buy a block of bandwidth and apply it to the device, and that's it. And this became a fury. I mean, a massive number of people just ranting and going crazy, you know, negative reviews all over Amazon on this, and the world was coming to an end. And I realized that it was basically one of those Kickstarter projects where everyone went in with best intentions and immediately they hit the wall when the big telcos were the controlling what bandwidth they were allowed to have and realizing they were just taking too much. And it's as you say, I mean, when the, the bigger the power, the more control they have over stopping what might be best for the customer uh, because it's not in their best interest. Seth, any follow-up? No, I mean, that's, you know, one of these days, you know, when the air clears up and the sun comes shining through and the rest of the country song, you can fill in there. But I just, <laughs> you know, okay, yay, it'll be fixed eventually, but that doesn't stop the fact that we're getting reamed now. And, you know, okay, I understand the that cable companies and phone companies they can't compete well you know i mean you don't deserve a 50 percent bonus because you jacked everybody's prices up 30 percent so that you could meet bonus for excessive for you know revenue growth there's there's a two-party contract here where if both sides give, then both sides get. But you have one side that is taking everything they can get, and then they're not paying off. They're merely contributing to people's campaigns, which is their right, to get more. And the other side has to give, 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 and they don't get crap. And like I say, one of these days it'll be fixed, but in the meantime, it's painful. So. What I loved about that whole tirade was it began with, no, I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to say. You wait till I'm passionate about something. <laughs> so while we're on the topic, let's talk about how Verizon still wants to screw its customers. <laughs> yeah, this was, um, you know, this is one of those funny stories. Somebody probably just put a an extra couple of zeros or move the, move the commas or decimal points, but um, in cl- um there was this customer who was charged basically a $91,000 wireless bill. No, 9100 you know, She had been paying 
uh, like 118 a month. And then all of a sudden she used 569 gigs of data for a whopping 800 or $8,535. And then she said, I'm not paying this. I'm canceling. And Verizon said, that's fine. That'll be an extra $600. (laughs) And they refused to, uh, deal with her until she got a newspaper to run the story and then they said oh we'll um you know we'll drop that but you still have to pay the cancellation charge and then so when the newspaper contacted them about hey what do you do like in this particular case to verify that the metrics you have to track data are accurate and they responded with we satisfied that person's bill and you know so they have no you as a consumer you're up to the mercy of the people charging you to take the amount that they said you use word for it you it's not like you can have a device sitting on top of your phone and measure the amount of data you download you know you can have an app that'll tell you kind of close but the app never seems to sync with the dates of the bill and you know so you're just like how much did i use and how can I verify this? You know, if, if you're wired and plugged in, then, you know, you could do something like a wire shark and have a switch set up and all that. And you could, you could track that, you ha- but it wouldn't be, wouldn't. it wouldn't be admissible. You could do it, but the official meter is, you know, the, the Verizon's meter or Comcast meter or AT&T's meter. So right. it wouldn't matter if you took all those steps and showed them the printout, they'd say, well, that's not what our system says, but y- you could, you would at least have a way to check. And, you know, and I would understand if, hey, I'm off by a couple of megs or maybe even a gig. But, you know, but here I have no way to check if the number I'm getting is accurate because it's it's done, you know, it's it's cell phone data, wireless data. So I'm just I'm at their mercy to say, hey, this is how much data I use. And so am I going to be the next person with a ninety one hundred dollar bill? Um, probably not because I don't have Verizon, but. I thought it was kind of a funny story that um, underlies a point um, in society. You know, we're kind of we're at the mercy of the ISP to do what they say they do the way they say they do it and not cut any corners um, while they're doing it. It must be one of those formula things. And I'd love to hear from any anybody out there in the listening community who might work for a, a telco or, or understands the economics of this because it just seems like there's an allocation of bandwidth on a per account basis that they're, they're sort of putting into their spreadsheets and predicting out. And then when somebody exceeds the norm and you're no longer a, you know, a measurable commodity because you use 500 gigabytes of data or something like that, it blows up all of their models and and what they want to do is they basically want to just penalize the individual as a kind of a you know don't don't do what this person's doing or it will blow up everything we're doing i just like to know the economics of how they calculate bandwidth per customer um you know to, to work out are we overloading their towers or something or is this because they don't want to invest in more towers? I mean, what, what's up with that? I, if anybody knows, please tell me. You know, I, I fall back on the the old principle of because they can. I don't know that that's what it is, but it seems to me like a because they can moment. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, we don't we don't make the rules. We're we're sheep in this situation, and and why? Because they all have local monopolies. 
and they don't have to be responsible to anybody. That's the power of a monopoly. You can do literally what the heck ever you want. You know, because it, it's amazing. Every time Google says, hey, we're bringing fiber to this city, all of a sudden, I don't know how it happens. Whoever has the dominant internet there, all of a sudden, their infrastructure magically upgrades to be able to <laughs> compete with Google's pricing and data structure. Doesn't happen till then, but something about Google bringing fiber unlock rewrites the mysteries of physics and causes bits to flow faster through the glass of other people's fiber. I, I, you know, that Google does some awesome stuff, and that's one benefit that um, they just don't get enough credit for. We had that problem here um, in our in our city, or in Phoenix, Scottsdale, and Tempe, which are the three areas near where I live in in Arizona. Um, Google had made a deal that was came right down to the final signing of the deal to bring fiber to our area. And, you know, the mayor was involved, the mayors of each of these city areas were involved and everything was looking great. It was one of those political things. It, right at the point when they were about to put pen to paper on this thing, Arizona had all of this negative publicity about the the show me your papers, you know, Sheriff Apio thing that was kind of got national attention. Um, and the second that happened, Google just backed way off from the whole deal and said, we don't want to be associated with any of this. And they fled. And next thing, Utah got, you know, fiber and we didn't or something. But and th that's what goes on. There's a lot of government in this. There's a lot of politics. It's not just about the money side of things, but it's about what's, what, what's got to appear right for the community too. So these are all different stories that we've told tonight, but they all, they're all the same story. You know, from Snowden to Verizon to, uh, you know, uh, Greenlight, it's all the story of government doing things that, you know, aren't right in the name of something that is right. Um, and to continue that theme, Adblock Plus now says, hey, we like ads. Yeah, um, I don't under, I, well, I do understand. But, you know, Adblock Plus, they, they built their business model and their company about, we block ads that's ad block i you know i thought that meant they block ads but then they threw the plus on there and so we're <laughs> ad block plus we sell ads that you get to see because these companies paid us money and ad block plus is a premium product right it costs money isn't that right no it's free oh i should have done some research for the show but i didn't want to break precedent so um but yeah, so Adblock Plus, they carve out this niche by cleaning up all of the crap from exploding on your your screen whenever you want to go to and click on a link. You know, silly person you wanted to see something else on the internet. And so, but what Adblock has now done is they have sold, um, you know, they've set this magical ethereal level that says your ads must conform to this. And it's probably the size of the paycheck is really what it must conform to. And if it does, then we'll let you show ads on all of these machines that nobody else gets to show ads to. So I wonder, you know, are people going to, is it the tyranny of the default that people have Adblock Plus installed now and they forgot they did, so they're going to start seeing ads and think, oh, well, or is it going to 
is it going to die? You know, people start dropping it, so they have to take less money, and then they get crappier ads. And then have they sh- have they killed themselves, shot themselves in the foot, so to speak? But yeah, wow, technically now, AdBlock Plus is now an ad network, much like Google AdSense. That's that's crazy. You know, I, I've heard so many people who have got blogs, um, even you know, publishers, newspaper companies, that sort of thing, and they are. Their entire business is living on AdWords revenue, you know, from mm-hmm. Google and so on. And they're all out there telling their people who read their blogs, don't install AdBlock or UBlock Origin or any of these blockers because it stops us making money. And I look at the whole thing and go, well, then you're in the wrong business in the first place because if your entire business is based around selling ads to something as a, as a primary goal, and not the content of what you're creating out there. I don't know if I really want to be reading this anyway. And I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being too socialist. I don't know. Well, but at the same token, you gotta you gotta pay. You gotta you know, baby, gotta eat. So you gotta make your money somewhere. So you put out this content and you structure it so that you get the ad words. So that's how it produces your salary. So you can't. You know, if everybody wrote for free, it would be great. But, you know, no people's money makes the world go round. I mean, advertising has been a a staple of media for as long as there has been media. Um, And so I, I it's not unusual for the sole way people make money uh, is to be selling ads. Uh, Every newspaper, every radio station, every television station exists solely on ad revenue uh so that's that's not a new thing uh sony for example uh doesn't make money off of ads they pay money to ads but nbc uh nbc is a bad example now that they're owned by comcast which owns the world uh but you know uh wsbc local news outlet channel four uh i don't even know if that's a thing but i just made it one um they exist entirely on ad revenues. And so that business model, I, I, I don't disagree with you that it's a damaging business model, uh, that it's a dangerous business model, but it's certainly a tried and true. You know, it is the business model of this podcast. We only make money um, by ads. I would like to the business model to be that people pay me, you know, individually, Patreon, that sort of thing. Uh, but that, you know, we have 11 supporters. Thank you, guys. I love the 11 supporters. But where's the other 4,989 of you? Um, you know, and so any money that I've ever made, any significant amount of money has come through ads. Um, and you know, that hasn't been much when I say significant, I'm talking a couple grand a year. Um, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. It's not, Oh, poor me. I only make a couple grand a year doing a part-time hobby. Uh, what I'm saying is that model is a very viable model, except on the internet it's not you know the i mean tivo and dish and and uh, direct tv all have the same problem right the dish got sued over the hopper because it has a commercial skip button the tivo i have at home will only skip commercials if the content provider says you can um for example you have it has to be a prime time thing it has to be more than 24 hours old and it has to not be available uh, anywhere else then i can use the skip commercial button otherwise i have to use the advanced 30 seconds button uh, which nobody can stop apparently uh, or uh, hasn't tried to. So advertising is not necessarily the problem. Um, ads are the problem, right? No, nobody's fast forwards through a Super Bowl ad. Why? Because they're the best ads you'll see all year. And the problem is not AdBlock Plus. AdBlock Plus 
is saying, if you don't make crappy ads, we'll let your ads go through. And I think as an Adblock Plus user, actually a former user, I use uh, uBlock Origin now, because Adblock Plus got kind of scummy, if uh, like the Google model, Google says, we're going to put ads on our pages, but they're not, they're not nasty ads. They're not punch the monkey. They're just little text ads. I don't mind that. And if Adblock Plus says, hey, to keep this thing going uh, and to help change the industry, we're going to say, if, as long as your ads don't suck, we'll show your ads. I'm actually totally okay with that. Yeah, the, 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 I don't know. Advertising, you're, you're right. Advertising's not a, a Boolean thing where you, it's on or it's off. I mean, there's, there's subtlety and there's, there's uh, ads that you can place on sites that don't get in the way. I mean, I'm sure we've all encountered those websites where you go to them, you scroll down, you get down like half a page and then something pops up to try to get mm. you to subscribe to something and then you're looking for the X to get rid of, rid of it and it drives you nuts. I, I hate that sort of thing. But I also hate going into seeing these overly uh, engineered ads that are just purely psychosis. They're trying to get you to think a certain way, to have expectations about who you are or your weaknesses or your, you know, what you don't have that you must go and buy. Um, and it turns the world into this kind of zombie-led corporate follower. The everyone's got to have a Starbucks in the morning and a McDonald's at lunch and ever because it's all this corporatization that drives me nuts. Everything is awesome, <laughs> right? You just described so, the plot of that movie. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, then the um, if if I could have that not touch my life, I would be a much happier person. And I realize that everybody's different. Some people are very susceptible to that sort of advertising, and that's what pays for the content that, you know, goes out there on the publishers and so on. And other people maybe not so susceptible. I'd like to think the audience of the show are not very susceptible people. They're, they're uh, inquisitive and they can work things out for themselves. But that's not a huge – I mean, I don't know what percentage of our population fall into that category, but it's not enough. Because all the other ones are out there zombie walking the malls and buying everything they can because the TV told them to do so. Right. And so, you know, that's the the line can't be crossed where we allow that to happen, but it does. And, so, it, and you know, what do you do? A couple of weeks ago, I was at a high school football game. Uh, and the high school football has changed a lot since 1990 when I graduated. Uh, but also high school football in uh, an area with a million plus people is different than high school in an area with 500 uh, plus people. Um, but the advertising was insane. Just uh, obsequiously, uh, obsequious is not the right word, annoyingly obscene, uh, insane to the point of it was, it was like that, that pop-up ad that comes up when you, when you move your cursor off a page before you go, would you like to subscribe? So the, this poor announcer guy had to say, and now going back for the Chick-fil-A Bellsbury Road kickoff, uh, number 45 kicks the ball, and it's re- and and every time there was a timeout, timeout, stop. Don't you wish you could have said that before you dropped your phone? Uh, at so-and-so repairs, and he had to say this all throughout the game, hundreds of times throughout the game. Every time there was a kickoff return, every time there was a timeout, every time there was a, uh, a punt, um, it was sponsored by somebody. Uh, the third downs were sponsored. This, uh, you know, uh, Luigi's Italian restaurant, uh, third down, uh, is, is fourth, is third and 11, and uh, the, the Longhorns are in a deep uh, uh, trouble. And I felt so sorry listening to this poor guy do his ad reads. Um, and, and it just, it made me mad. It made me not want to go to games in the same way that the, the punch the monkey makes you not want to go to a website. But the fact is, they must work. 
right? People wouldn't do this if it didn't work. Or, or is that is that just not right? Is that is that wrong thinking? Uh, Part of it is if I don't do it, somebody else will. So I don't want people thinking about them because the only bad publicity is no publicity. I'd rather have them stuck on how awful my name and my business is because at least they'll remember the name of my business versus somebody else might say a better ad and put me out of business. Or we've created an expectation in the mindsets of every consumer out there that this is how the world is. And if you don't meet that expectation, you're the one, you're the odd one out. And that's sad. That's really sad to me. Yep. I mean, er, early on in the game, this, this announcer was just, he's not an announcer. He's a good old boy. He's a, he's a Georgia boy whose kid probably plays football. Uh, And I thought, you know, maybe I should offer my time. As a, you know, as a as a as a semi pro announcer, I have some skills. I know how to read copy. Um, I'm not that great at play by play, but it's high school football. I think I could I could wing it. It, it doesn't really move all that fast. That's why um, there's two people the the the, right. the color guy and the guy who knows yeah. the stuff. They couldn't afford two people here. This was one guy uh, on a mic. And but by by the end of the second quarter, I was like, oh my gosh! Not only do I not want this gig, I don't ever want to come to another game again. Um, and understanding this is the high school that my kids are going to go through, and I'm going to go to what is it, twelve, fifteen games a, a a year, listening to this every year. It just made me want to commit seppuku right there in the stands. So okay, um, he this is coming over the loudspeaker, and you're not listening to uh, the a game on the radio. This is no, no. This is a high school announcer over the 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 PA at the game. Oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Wow. That's ugh. We've sunk to this. <laughs> yeah, and so when you look at something like that, you it's easy to say advertising is the problem. Um if we could just get rid of advertising. Well, if you got rid of advertising, a lot of things would go away. You know, Game of Thrones would go away. Um Netflix would go away. Um a lot of things that you like would go away without advertising. Uh but you know, good advertising is is the problem. You need you need good ads, and and so I kind of applaud AdBlock Plus in saying um, we're gonna we're gonna make the world a better place by having better ads, and we're gonna make some money doing this. And the advertisers are not gonna be blocked. They're gonna get a, a win. It's a win win, right? You get an ad. Um, a good ad is relevant. I mean, th- there are times. When I click on an ad because, hey, look at that. There's a relevant ad that's useful to what I need. Um, but but it's such a small thing. They should change their name to Adblock Accept. Then I wouldn't have a problem with it. And maybe they will, right? And and so I'm not uh, – I'm. I think what what I was going to say uh, before you so rudely interrupted me, Seth, um, was that I I don't have a problem with what they've done. I have a problem with the way they've done it. This is a betrayal of trust. Adblock was blocking ads. It's built right into the name. And now they've modified and said, well, we're going to block the bad ads and we're going to let the good ads through. That's a betrayal of trust. And had they spun off another company, um, yeah, that'd be okay. The trouble is nobody's going to download a plugin called Better Ads. When in fact, that's what we all want. We all want better ads. We just don't think we do. I mean, we think we want no ads. That just doesn't exist. If there's no ads, there's no content. So what we want is better ads. So a, a, a plugin called Better Ads Plus, I, I would install that. I would be happy to install that personally. 
All right. Apparently, I have ended that conversation. <laughs> well, no, I just don't know if you're going to say anything else. I don't want to rudely interrupt you again. <laughs> yes, you do. You want to rudely interrupt? No, me. yeah, I you really live do want for to. rudely interrupting. Um, I haven't. It's been a long time since I said this on the on the air on the bits, so to speak. Uh, when having uh, asynchronous um, conversations over distance where there is lag involved, the only way to get your point across is to interrupt. I, you know, I was telling Miles this uh, one of his first shows. Like, don't feel bad about interrupting. That's the only way you're ever going to say anything. Because we, uh, one of the reasons we use video here, even though we're not able to broadcast it tonight, we're using it because I can at least see Seth start to open his mouth, and I know, okay, I need to, I need to let him speak. So if you ever get mad at at, at me or at Seth or at Miles for interrupting, that's the only way you can have a conversation uh, in a multi-casted uh, sort of place. So let's just get that out there. I I get accused of bullying people. Not, not just on this show, but on other shows, on the, the Android App Addict show that I host, uh, one of the first things was, Mark never lets anybody talk. Uh, when in reality, if you look at the you know the, the editing, I'm like 20% of the conversation. But the only way I can say something is to interrupt somebody. And you know podcasters know this. That's just the way it is. Uh, radio, if you listen to radio, because most of the time, they're not looking at each other, right? The, if they're having a conversation across distance, certainly on television news shows, you see that all the time. They're interrupting each other because of the satellite delay. It's just the way you have to have a conversation. Sorry. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> yeah. What he said. <laughs> and then <laughs> one last thing that I want to talk about, uh, because it's it's a government. Let's let's let the American government off the, the hook a little bit and talk about the EU saying that Cody is a bad thing. Cody oh. being uh, the, the new version of XBMC. Um so ready go. Well, I I kind of expected this sort of. Um, if you've ever installed Kodi on any uh, device, whether it's your computer or a set top box for your TV set or whatever, I mean it's it's the open source version or the extension of the XBMC Media Center. Um, you know now rebranded as Kodi. Well. The really cool thing about Kodi is that it does all these neat things like it can be your front-end player to your NAS if you've got a whole bunch of video content on a server, it'll play it. And it does a really good job at handling codecs and all that sort of stuff. And um, it's also great if you've got like live TV and you want to do a PVR on your network and you need a, a live TV front-end, kind of like a TiVo to that sort of thing. It's great for that. Uh, but one of the most popular things people do with Kodi is they install add-ons, uh, video add-ons in particular. And if you ever get on YouTube and you start searching on YouTube for video add-ons for Kodi, you'll find all these incredibly diverse and interesting people out there <laughs> who <laughs> um, who will tell you about this month's best add-ons for Kodi. And, of course, they'll show you how you get all your sports TV for free and how you can get TV from the UK for free and TV from Paris and get all the movies, you know, the second they come out. And, and you know, it's, it, it's not copyright-friendly stuff for the most part. I mean, it certainly isn't. But it's because it's kind of underneath people who are willing to hack set-top boxes and then they're willing to put Cody on it and then finally they're willing to find these repositories of all this, you know, unethical kind of add-ons to it. It's not the average go out, guy out there on the street who ever comes into contact with this. You've got to have some serious geek creds to get to find this stuff. But apparently the EU doesn't think that's the case. They think that 
they're going to ban all Cody boxes. Now, Cody boxes being somebody who got a computer or a set-top box, installed Cody on it, and then installed add-ons onto that. They call that a Cody box. Apparently, that's going to be outlawed. Well, I don't know. Nobody out there in the open source community would probably have a great deal of credibility selling those Cody boxes since it's all free and open source anyway. But according to the EU, we'll just take the whole lot down just in case. And, well, they and are all over Amazon. You go to Amazon and type Cody box and just see what happens uh, uh, all over eBay. And and they say, you know, free TV. Um, and they are, they are flaunting the law. So, uh, but all this will be is here's the box. Once you get it, it'll run a setup script. That'll go download everything. Um, they're not going to stop this. Uh, but let, let me just lay a hypothetical situation out for you. So hypothetically, there's this guy, let's call him Bart. Uh, and Bart uh, used to live in Schmexis, uh, but now he lives in Lorja. And um, and uh, Bart is a big fan of the Schmexis uh, uh, uh football team. And uh, he can't watch the Salboys anymore uh, in Lorja. Uh, so he... <laughs> Uh, in his his man cave, uh, sets up a uh, Cody on a PC and goes and installs a, a an add-on called Sports Devil. And th- as early as this afternoon, is watching the uh, the Schmexis um, Salboys um, on his uh, Cody box. Uh, just hypothetically, that's the kind of thing that might happen to people. Um, and and that's that's what these boxes are for. Now. Um, just if purely for experimental purposes, I myself have uh, hooked up uh, a Cody with add-ons in, in a virtual machine that I deleted immediately, of course. And I have found that uh, there is everything you could want there, uh, not just for sports. Uh, of course, there's ESPN, there's the NFL Network, but there's HBO, there's Showtime, there's um, uh, uh, Discovery Channel, there's uh, Food Network. And most of these are, you know, some guy who has, say, DirecTV and has a feed out of his box uh, that's streaming to the internet. Some of them are literally a camera pointed at a television. Um, but these, uh, the, and some of them are hacked sources where, you know, the HBO Go app has been hacked and somebody uh, is pulling the streams off of that. Uh, so there's, there's a wide variety of sources out there. But what's interesting to me is that Cody is not breaking the law there. The developers of the apps are not breaking the law. The people streaming the content and the people downloading the content are the people breaking the law. So the EU will do nothing here by passing this law. It will serve no purpose. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, it's there's also, um, as kind of a caveat emptor with this sort of thing too, because if they're trying, if, if those guys are trying to sell those Cody boxes like on Amazon and so on, those preloaded ones. The The problem is often that what they don't tell the person buying it is that maybe there's an add-on that gets installed that actually is a front-end BitTorrent client mm-hmm. that's going to get this stuff from BitTorrent, right? And what no one realizes is BitTorrent clients broadcast your IP address out to everybody to come after you and try and you know extort money, say you're stealing content. But the average Joe doesn't understand that. So, you know, they're not running VPNs on this sort of thing. They're not hiding their identity. They're out in plain sight. But, you know, it's all about getting access to the shows. So, I don't know. The the EU, I think the EU does not have the right to get involved in this whole thing. But at the same time, I think it is important that people realize that 
getting one of these boxes could be quite dangerous for your own, you know, legal position on this stuff if you get caught using it. And you don't even realize you're breaking the law half the time. It's just that the add-on just does it all for you, right? Automated law breaking. So th- this is a real story, not hypothetical. Uh, there's this guy named Mark who uh, bought a uh, DVD of a Disney movie that uh, his children then ruined said DVD. So Mark went to the torrent world and downloaded the torrent of said movie. Uh, Mark had purchased the, uh, the movie. Uh, Mark had every right to view the movie. So Mark felt this was perhaps not legal, but moral um, in, in doing so. Uh, being a good citizen of the internet, Mark left his uh, downloaded movie in the upload thing long enough to get a one-to-one, one download, one upload. That's what good internet citizens do. Um, it takes a while because Mark had his uh, uh, bandwidth choked so as not to be, you know, uh, sacrificing his bandwidth too much for the cause of being a good internet citizen. And after about uh, a day and a half of this movie being in his upload folder, Mark got an email from his ISP forwarded from the the uh, uh, RIAA. So the RIAA sent Mark a letter forwarded through the ISP saying, hey, we've noticed that popular Disney movie was available for use at your website, uh, at this IP address. Perhaps you're unaware that this is happening. Uh, there are often plugins that make this happen. Uh, you might want to check your internet uh, to see. Um, we will be checking your IP address in the near future, and if it's still there, we'll have a very different conversation. Uh, that's the summary, summary of uh, paraphrasing of that letter. So Mark then immediately went and downloaded and uh, screw being a good internet citizen. Um, <laughs> but these are the sort of things that happen to people who are not um, as uh, tech-savvy as Mark is. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I just feel sorry for a lot of the people that are sort of suckered into buying these boxes, but I still... The EU does not have the right to try and shut down the whole thing. It's completely out of their domain, and we should all just Brexit the Cody thing. (laughs) But, you know, them not having the right doesn't stop them. So they'll just... They're governments. They give themselves the right. Yeah. They'll just take the right, and then all of a sudden (laughs) they do have the right because they gave themselves the right, and they didn't tell themselves they didn't have the right, so therefore they now have the right because no other government said that they didn't have the right because then they would turn around and say that government didn't have the right, and so yay, (laughs) government. It's great to be a citizen. You know, the founding founding document of, of the United States says that all rights come from God, including the rights to ban Cody, apparently. Um, <laughs> who knew? Um, I, I think it's funny that we're roughly an hour and a half in here. We've talked about four news stories, a gas shortage, and Snowden in an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, right? But I, I just hearken back to 2010 when Seth and I were saying, how are we going to fill 30 minutes of content? How are we going to do that? What do we have to talk about for 30 minutes? Can't we do a 15-minute show this week? <laughs> well, the secret is the rant part of Geek Rant. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> this is the only place you can find that. Nowhere else on the internet will you find geeks who rant. So, so uh, I, ranting. 
I think this was a good discussion. I, I was uh, telling somebody uh, recently, uh, a new acquaintance of mine, uh, that I podcast. And I, I honestly, I try to avoid that. I'm, I'm not good at self-promoting. Uh, I never have been. Uh, but n- not just that. It's the follow-up conversations uh, are always, well, what do you talk about? <sighs> well, it's kind of hard to say what we talk about. We talk about sort of geek culture. Well, what is that? Well, you know, it, we talk about politics, we talk about law, we talk about religion, we talk about history, we talk about technology, but it's all from a geek standpoint. But what does that mean? And so now I'm going down this conversation explaining to somebody who's never going to listen to this podcast uh, what I do, um, and, you know, eventually I just say, can I just get my Big Mac, please? Um, and just, you know, end it there. Uh, but it's, it's, it's hard to talk about what we do. How, how would I explain to somebody that three guys spend an hour and a half talking about four news stories? Oh, but it's interesting. You should download it and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I gave up trying to get any of my friends around here to listen. Y'all talk for an hour and a half? I don't have time for that. <laughs> so, All right. Well, Seth, wrap us up with telling us what happened this week in history. Okay. This is uh, pretty cool here. So this week in history, September the 20th, 1954, the first Fortran program runs. So the first successful Fortran program runs Fortran, which is an acronym for formula translator for all you internet trivia buffs out there was invented by IBM by um, a group led by John Backus. Fortran's purpose was to simplify the programming process by allowing the programmer, sometimes known as a coder to use simple (laughs) algebra like expressions when writing software. It also took over the task of keeping track of where instructions were kept in the memory, a various, a very laborious and error prone procedure when undertaken by humans. Fortran is still in use today in scientific and engineering applications. Let that sink in 1954. This is 2016. It is one of the oldest programming languages still in use. It's been around for more than 50 freaking years that happened this week in history in 1954. Yes, it's still in use, but it's getting harder and harder to find somebody who can code it and who can debug code. It's it's uh, it's mainly appliances that have been in place for years. Um, and actually, Fortran developers are kind of in demand right now. Uh, you're not going to get full-time work, but you're going to get paid well when you do work. There are still nuclear reactors running on Fortran code. I mean, yes. that's really scary. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't know what Y2K was. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's uh, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. We've done a lot of feeding forward to you this show. You you get to feed back. Tell us what you think. Go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA, um, and then uh, fill in the form. That sends an email that gets priority in my end basket. If you do not uh, believe in uh, uh, filling out forms, it's against your personal belief, you can go uh, send us an email directly to geekrant at elementopi.com. That will go to uh, me and Seth and Chris, I think, still. I need to fix that. Um, and uh, But, uh, you know, Chris likes to feel wanted, too. Uh, and I'll forward it to Miles, I promise. Um, or you can call 559-IAM-OP. No, I'm not going to tell you what those numbers are because I forgot them five years ago. Um, but you can dial it on your phone and leave us a, a Google Voice mail, and uh, we'll play it on the show. We like hearing from you almost as much as we like hearing our own voices. Almost. 
Um, so Seth, now what do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you seem like a better hiring option? Okay. This is something I just came across. And so I thought I would share, it is a way to, um, the way this will work is it's five ninety nine a month. So this might cause you to like lose your house and therefore you wouldn't be able to keep a job. Um, M-U-B-I dot com is a website and what they do is they put, um, a different movie up every day. It is just uh, one movie a day. And then that movie is up for a total of 30 days. Uh, and then so what will happen is they'll put a new movie in and take the oldest one out. They'll put a new movie in, take the oldest one out. Um, if you subscribe to this service, they have an Android app. They have an iPhone app. Um, you can download the content of any of the movies. Um, so it's, it's not really streaming, although you can stream if you have the subscription. But if you were going to be, you know, on a plane ride or, you know, a car trip where out in the boondocks where there's no internet access, you could load up these movies and watch. They are mostly foreign films. Um, so they're not something you would probably find on Netflix but has the chance to be interesting. Mubai.com, and they do offer a one-month free trial. Like I say, I just came across this and went, eh, this is kind of interesting, so I will throw it out there and let people take a look. And uh, programming note, if you're using the basic uh, filters for OpenDNS, you will not be able to visit the site. Really? Because it has nudity. Oh. So, okay. You go. Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, I pulled it up on my phone, and... Uh, works just fine there so yeah movies have nudity apparently that happens once in a while <laughs> yeah uh, just a well you know ahead. and like for example here's one of the movies stagecoach the um john wayne 1939 version so it there you just get a different movie every day and then they take away one that's been up there for 30 days just a quick aside um as part of uh amazon's uh premiere uh, thing where a pilot season I watched yesterday uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson um, much funnier than I expected uh, very much not kid friendly within the first two minutes there's a naked female butt so just be aware of that uh, but um, you know and which is a surprise because usually Van Damme is famous for his naked butts so in this case it was it was not his it was somebody else's but much funnier than I expected it to be uh, as you're watching Jean-Claude Van Damme a 50 year old has been action starred thinking what's he's gonna what's he gonna do well the movie is essentially about a 50 year old has been action star so check it out uh i give it uh, a half a thumb up it's it's a it's worth spending an hour on a saturday afternoon certainly don't schedule any time for it hmm. just a quick review there uh miles what are your final thoughts before we say good night uh well the only thing I was going to say that I thought might be of, of interest to the audience is that if you ever go to Google and you want to do a search for uh, if you're interested in cryptography or, or any solving of codes and all that stuff, and you're a bit of a student of history, and you do a Google search for Bletchley Park. Now, if anybody knows what that is, that was kind of in the, the UK. That was where they were solving a lot of uh, codes and it, the Enigma code, I think it was yes, the uh -huh, thing the they did there. So, you know, if you're just a student of it and you go to Google and you type in Bletchley Park, check out what happens. <laughs> the result you get back might not be what you expect. Uh, so I'd encourage everybody to do it. I'll just leave it there. You've got to do it to be able to get the experience. 
Oh, and it doesn't happen right away. You have to watch for a minute yes. to see it happen. So uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, Bletchley uh, Park was where um, the the yeah uh, Turing yes, in, invented the 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 machine. What what was fascinating about this to me is that this is a fully uh, analog mechanical device. It it does what a computer would be used to do today, but it was a fully analog mechanical device that broke a code that was deemed to be unbreakable. Um, and part of the reason was that the code was uh, not implemented very well. For example, all German uh, news reports started with the same salutation, uh, the date, and maybe a weather report. Uh, so they were able to figure out the commonalities to figure out the rest, uh, plus a glitch in the uh, Enigma device. Uh, but fascinating uh, story. Check it out. Uh, I don't highly recommend the movie with, uh, uh, just blanked on his name, Benedict with Cumberbatch. Ben- ben- Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. It was okay. It was just okay. Uh, but it was it was a movie and not a documentary. Um, but anyway, Bletchley Park, uh, still around today. I don't believe it's still breaking codes, but it is still a thing. But definitely try and Google it. Yes, do that. Surprise what you get. All right, this is the part of the show where I thank you for hanging out with us for an hour and a half while we talk about four news stories. Uh, we uh, we appreciate you, uh, uh, Seth, Miles. You guys are great. Uh, I literally couldn't do the show without. Well, I could, but it would just be the insane ramblings of a madman. Um, I have a show for that. It's called Sound and Fury. I haven't done one in a while. Uh, but uh, be a lot we, of blank spaces you. too if it were just you talking. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, let us know what you think again. And uh, uh, as always, let other people know what you think, mainly if it's good. If it's good, let other people know what you think. If it's bad, um, keep it to yourself. Uh, ratings and reviews are always good. Uh, of course, five-star ratings are preferred, but only if you think we deserve five stars. Um, I think it, it's been a while since I looked, but we have one two-star review in iTunes and it's two words. It's uh, too long. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> If you like short podcasts, we're not for you. So thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week because wait, that's it wait, for this episode. Wait, wait we're wait, not what I forget. doing next week. Oh, that, thank you. Thank you. I am taking next week off. Uh, it is family vacation. Um, and so I am also vacating from the podcast. So we will back be back in two weeks, which will be in October 4th-ish. October 5th is when the show will be released. We'll be recording October 2nd, uh, Sunday night. If we can get the stream to work live, uh, you can come check it out there. Uh, but uh, the there will not be a show released on uh, September 28th. Thank you, Seth, for reminding me to say that. Actually, you didn't remind me to say that. You said it yourself. Well, I had to because right. you didn't give me a chance. And, that's right. You know, all that stuff. Thanks. All right. That's it. See you in two weeks because that's it for this episode of the Geek Creator.